Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. And today we're going to talk about fathers, but most importantly, more broadly, we're going to talk about parents. We're going to talk about parents and children. And with kind of all of these things that we've been talking about with husbands and wives and specifically this passage, and then also talking about um, slaves and slave owners, there's a lot of baggage that comes when we talk about parenting, when we talk about parents, when we talk about the idea of God as a heavenly father, um, because all of us have an incredibly diverse experience when it comes to parents. We all have some, and some that were present, some that were absent, some that were loving and kind and nourished us and treated us well, some that were abrasive, harsh, and abusive. Some of us have parents that we need to forgive. Some of us have parents that we are at a place where it is really hard to even imagine forgiving them for the things that they have committed and done against us. And so no matter where we come from, there's some baggage around parents. I grew up with incredibly loving and caring parents, but I also had my own baggage around my parents that sent me to counseling when I first moved to Madison. I was by myself. I was like, oh my goodness, all these things from my childhood came rushing up. And so no matter where we come from, we all have some parental baggage. And then for some of us in this room, we are parents, and being a parent is exhausting and hard. It's just really hard, and it's just really exhausting. And there's days where it feels like it's just never going to end, that we are never going to climb up this hill. And what we need is in all of this, whether we're dealing with our own parents or whether we're dealing with this idea as God, as Heavenly Father, or whether we're um, trying to get to this place of forgiving our parents or loving our kids well every day, we need God's grace. We need God's grace in all of it. We're not strong enough on our own to handle this kind of parental role and parental responsibility that God has given us. And so we need to ask him for his help. We need to ask him for his healing. And so I want to begin this morning just by identifying our baggage so that God can minister to it, that the Holy Spirit can minister to it while we go through this teaching this morning and that God can heal us uh, throughout the service. And so would you guys just pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you that you are Father and that you are a good Father. And God, teach us this morning to know what that means just a little bit better. God, allow us to take one step closer to being healed, being restored this morning. God, allow us to begin to see a place where we can forgive our parents for the ways that they have hurt us, for the ways that we have been broken because of them. God, allow us to be thankful for the ways that our parents have loved us and have cherished us and have taken care of us and have brought us to this point. And God, I pray that you'd give us the energy and the strength, and the grace that's required to raise our own children. God, that your grace would cover up the multitude of sins that we commit as parents against our children, and that you would grow our children up in a way that they love you, that they know your heart, and that their lives would be pleasing to you. Lord, we need you, and we need your help. Come help us. Come save us in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning we are in chapter 3, verse 20. I'm going to let you guys get there. I'm going to grab some books that I forgot back here. So 
Ephesians chapter, not Ephesians, Colossians 3.20. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So this is the verse that we'll be working through this morning. And what I want us to see is that in this context, in Paul's day, Paul is addressing the fathers specifically. And he's addressing the fathers specifically in this context and in this passage because in this day, the fathers were the head and rule of the household. <laughs> the wives had to submit in this day before Paul blew the doors open and changed the way that wives' and husbands' relationships worked. But in this day, the husband was also ruler and dominator over his children. His children were seen as his property. And the reality was is that if you were a son, the father could treat you worse than a slave. In this day, there were stipulations against beating a, slavery, a slave to the point of them being unable to work. There was kind of protections around slavery that if you were to take your slave, take them out, beat them to the place where they could not work anymore, you had to set them free and almost give them workman's comp for the rest of their lives so that they could go and be fruitful <laughs> even with their disfigurement. These protections did not exist against sons and against children. A father could go out to the field in his anger, in his rage, in his frustration and just kill his son. And that would be the end of him. There would be no questions asked, no lawyers, no court, no nothing. Be like, yep, that's just what the father did. That's what the father saw was his own right. No questions asked. And so Paul is <laughs> brutally challenging the cultural norms of this day by telling the fathers to not provoke their children, to not discourage their children, to not be harsh or to crush their spirits, but to love their children instead. And what I want us to see is that what Paul is doing is that he is not doing necessarily a new thing in this place, but instead he's doing a very old thing. He's returning back to this place of restoring fatherhood, restoring this idea of what being an Abba, being a daddy, is really about. Because Paul, in his other letters, refers to God as father. He even refers to him as Abba, as this daddy, as this intimate, loving, close relationship. And Paul looks at the situation happening in Colossae and he says, this isn't even close to where it's supposed to be. And so I'm going to command you fathers in this place in this time to calm down, to cool it off, and to work back towards this place of intimacy with your children. Now what I want us to see though is that for today we don't live in this context of Paul. And what better translates in this place is parents. The same word for father here is also used in Hebrews, and a lot of translators will translate that word father in the book of Hebrews uh, to mean parents. And so this word is a paternal term, it's a paternal word that includes both mothers and fathers. Now it's right for Paul to be addressing the father specifically in this passage, like we said in the context that he's in. But the reality is that in today's world where we live, <laughs> where it is a shared responsibility of husband and wife, of mothers and fathers to raise up their kids, we need to see this command as to parents. And so although this is Father's Day and we think that there's going to be this undertone of fathers, go do your job or whatever, that's not, that's not what this is about. It's not what this is about at all. What I hope is that you guys walk away encouraged, that you walk away enlightened, and that you walk away 
feeling God's grace over your life and over your parenting, and that most importantly, that you would feel God's love as he is the ultimate father to our lives and to our existence. And so that's what I want us to walk away from. And so I want us to know that this is fathers and mothers. We're talking to parents in general. <laughs> but before we dig in, there's something else that I want to talk about, and that is heroes. I want to talk about heroes. Who is your favorite superhero? I'm not a big superhero person, to be honest, but I know some of us are. I know you get in Marvel, DC, you guys know all the plot lines, all the stories. There's a favorite somewhere. There's some characteristics that you like about some over the others. Generically, I like Superman, but that's always a cop-out because, like, he's Superman. He can do almost anything. Just don't get him around kryptonite, right? I mean, that's all you need. <laughs> but I want you to think about heroes and what makes them important. And then I want you to think about who are the heroes in your life? Who are the real-life heroes? Not just fictional superheroes, but who are the people that you would say, man, that person is a hero to me in my life. They've come, they've saved me, they've built me up. They've given me value and worth. I think a lot of us, when asked this question, we would turn and say, in some ways, our parents. In many ways, our parents... They're either the hero of our story or they're sometimes the arch-villain of our story. And if their parents, if our earthly parents end up being the arch-villain of our story, the people that we see as our heroes are often the people that fulfilled that role in their place. That they are a person that comes alongside us, that builds us up in our places of failure, in our places of insecurity, in our places of anxiety, in our places of loss. They come in and they <laughs> heal us. They build us up. They speak truth and love and belonging and life into our lives. And so I want you to write down some of those heroes right now. And just for the point of coming back to it later this week and just praising God for them, for thanking God for bringing these people into your life and for giving you what you needed the most in the moments that you needed it the most. And the reality is, is that we all need heroes. We all need people to come in and come beside us and to lift us up and to show us the way through this life. And the reason why we need heroes to come in and intersect us the most is because <laughs> ultimately these heroes that intersect our lives, that help us in the darkest times, they are pointing us towards the ultimate hero. And that ultimate hero is Jesus Christ. And the cool thing is, is that God gives us as parents the opportunity to be the hero for a small window of time, maybe an extended window of time, the hero, to be the hero of our kids' lives. I love the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible talks about Jesus. Um, it's kind of crazy. We're going to be talking about kids, and we're going to be talking about parenting. And I just thought, we might as well just go to stuff that's written for kids. If you guys don't have the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, let me know. I'd love to give it to you. Um, it's incredible. If you're an adult, I encourage you to read it. Um, it will challenge the way that you see the gospel in ways that might even be more beneficial and better than for you to open up the New Testament and just read it straight. The way that this thing is written will blow your mind. And I think that the author is actually writing it to adults, knowing that adults will be reading it to their children. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. So it's pretty, pretty fantastic. All right, so this is what the Jesus Storybook Bible says that the Bible is all about. 
And it says this. It says it's an adventure story. And it's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is that it's true. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. And that is the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. I love that line. How God loves his children and how he has come to rescue them. God has been placed and has been (laughs) used by the biblical authors throughout time to be identified as our heavenly father, as our heavenly parents, actually, because he's not just mentioned as father in the Bible, but he's also mentioned as mother. I want to take a look for a moment as how God reveals himself as the full parents, as both mother and father to us in his love and in his care for us. And so we see in Deuteronomy that God calls himself a mother who gives birth to her children. We see in Isaiah how God sees himself as a mother who nurses her child. We see God as a mother who gives comfort to her children. And we see God as a mother who holds her children dear to her heart in the book of Psalms. Our God is a mother. We spend a lot of time talking about God the Father, but we also have a God the Mother. A God the Mother who provides for us. A God the Mother who births us, the God, the mother who looks after us, who (laughs) pursues us as a child that's been weaned, that there's this incredible bond between us and her, who loves us like a mother loves her child. We also then see the paternal side of the father, and this one has been (laughs) used a ton in churches, and it should be mentioned and noted We see God as the father to the nation. We see God as a father who protects, especially his children who are weak and lost and vulnerable and afraid. We see a father who is constantly seeking and pursuing to know the depths of your heart. That no matter how far away you try to run away from him, he is constantly on your trail pursuing you, knowing you, knowing you intimately, knowing you before thoughts even come to your mind. And as we read this morning in our (laughs) passing of the peace, our God is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And he loves his children deeply. In Ephesians 5, he calls us dearly beloved children. So we are children of the God Most High, who is both mother and father. And this language of both mother and father is used to build us up into the vision that God has for us. A vision where our identity is found in him, where we allow him to define who we are. Instead of allowing the world or our jobs or occupations or our decisions or choices in life to define us, we allow our mother and father God to define who we are. Who he and her says that we are. That we might live built up with a confidence going forward from this place of who God says that we are. And this is where Paul invites us as parents. 
to enter into the fray. That we also get to be this for our children. That we get to build our children up and encourage them in who God says that they are. We don't need to set them up for confidence in themselves or confidence in this world, but we need to set them up that they might have confidence in the love that God has for them. That there would be confidence in who they are as a son and daughter of God. And the way that they're going to know that the most is by the way that we parent them, the way that we interact with them, because we're the physical manifestations that they have in their lives to begin to imagine what the Heavenly Father and Mother might look like. And we know this is true because there's so many of us that have broken images of our Heavenly Father because we have broken images and we have really broken (laughs) earthly fathers. And God wants to restore that. He wants to renew that. He wants to give us the vision that he, what he is like and what fathers ought to mimic and mothers ought to mimic in this life. And I also want to say is that this role of parenting, this role of fathering and mothering is not just for the uh, fathers and mothers that have children in this church, but it's a duty and it's a call to all of us. It requires an entire tribe to raise a child. I need you to speak into my son's life. And you need me to speak into your daughter's life. And we need each other to be able to love and grow and to show these children this God that's bigger than all of us. To show the height, the depth, the breadth of his love and that it's going to be mimicked and played out through each and every one of us as parents. You guys can be some other kid's hero. Just let that sink in for a minute. You can be some other kid's hero. And in being their hero, you're going to be pointing them towards the ultimate hero that is Jesus Christ. And so this Paul, in this passage, Paul says to us, fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I think over time, what has happened with this verse is that we have translated it and maybe the hermeneutic has been over time that this passage means withhold the rod and spoil the child. Withhold the rod and spoil the child. But I think that God has a different imagination for this passage. And I think the reality is that maybe sometimes we read this passage of withhold the rod and spoil the child because that's how we hope God works with us. We hope that we can go on our lives, that we can continue to make choices and decisions, sometimes selfish, sometimes self-sacrificially, but that when we do the selfish thing, God would just kind of turn the other way and be like, it's all right, it's good, it's covered, no big deal, Um, and that he would heap blessing upon blessing upon of that, that he would spoil us as his children. But that's not how it works, and what I want to do is I want to take a moment to talk about the difference between discipline and wrath. Because this is where people are like, oh, are you going to say that God is just going to dis- like bring out his wrath and punish me for my sin? And I'm going to say no. I'm going to say sin carries its own punishment with it. It does. If you are living in sin, you know the punishment of sin because it's already there. But what we read in Hebrews is that our God is a good father and that he disciplines us. And discipline, what we have a very negative tone about discipline, but discipline is actually this place of learning. It's this place where we can be confronted with the truth. It's this place where we have an opportunity to repent and turn back to God. 
It's not God being a meanie. But it's God loving. And there are going to be places in our lives where we are caught in a lifestyle of sin, of habitual sin, where God is going to discipline us. And it's going to be good. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. You might think God's a meanie in it, but he's loving you through it. And that is much, much different than his wrath. His wrath comes when the discipline goes unanswered, unheard, unheard from time and time again. And his wrath is what was poured out on Christ. It's a much more permanent thing where discipline is this gentle nudge. And sometimes that gentle nudge hurts more than what we want it to. And so we have to change the hermeneutic. If we're going to say, hey, this passage isn't about (laughs) withhold the rod, spoil the child, then we also have to say that this is going to be true about our God, that our God at times executes discipline. And that's difficult. But we have to distinguish that this discipline is in, in response to love. And so the goal of this passage is that we would build up our children in faith, that we would come alongside of them and that we would build them up into the people that God is calling them to be. And I think that this requires a level of discipline on our behalf as parents. And what I mean by that is that I believe that there is an incredible level of intentionality that we have to have as parents if we're going to serve and love our kids well. Because there's going to be times where we're going to want to check out or we're going to want to take a nap on the couch or we're going to just want to escape and God is going to call us to press in and engage and come alongside in love. And that's going to be incredibly difficult and frustrating at times. You'll be like, I wanted that nap right now. And instead, God's going to call you to action to love your child. We're also going to need some discipline in executing discipline on our children. Benjamin is just starting to get to that age where, like, he will look at you with this look, and you know. You know that he knows that you know that what he's about to do is not what he's supposed to do. And it is hard. It is hard to execute discipline on that child. And maybe it's because he's one, but I feel like this is a struggle that is just not going to go away. That there is discipline that I'm going to have to execute as a parent in my own heart around what it looks like to discipline my own son and my own children. That's going to be hard. And so we need each other. This is where the village comes in. The village isn't just so that we are parents watching our kids together, but it's where we are parents loving and encouraging and holding each other accountable to the ways that we are parenting and loving our kids well, that we are coming alongside of them and building them up in who God calls them to be, who God has called them (laughs) to, (laughs) to be and to live. But in our discipline, we are called not to provoke our children, not that they will lose heart, is what other translations say. We are not to rule them like the way that the fathers in Paul's day ruled their children, literally and physically crushing them. But we're to gently come alongside them and build them up. And I just want to say, parents, you have a ton of power in your children's lives. You have a ton of power to build your child up. But you also have a ton of power to tear your child down. 
And some of you guys know the power that, those, that your parents have in both of those directions to build up and to tear down. And so I encourage you to, to wield that power intentionally and to, in a place where you do not crush your child's spirit. And so the goal is to build them up, to affirm them. And so the question is, is how in the world do we do this? How do we do this? And I think there are three ways that we do this. The first way is active time. The second way is passive time. And the third way is discipline. So first, active time. Active time is we see this in God and God's pursuit as a father to know us to know us and to love us and to chase after us and to spend time with us and to live with inside of us, that his spirit would take up residence inside of us and know us fully well. We see this in the heart of God, to spend active, intentional, intimate time with us. And we as fathers and mothers need to seek after our own children in the same spirit. And so I would just say that active time is time that is intentionally spent with your child. And I think that this is the time that our children need the most. That our children need to know that we see them, that we hear them, that we love them, and that we value them. And they also need to know that we don't worship them. They need to know that our identity is found in our ultimate true father. And that our identity is not based on them and their actions in any way. It's where we acknowledge that they are free agents. There's too much of this in our society where we say, well, our children is a product of me, or my child is a miniature version of me, that we put too much personal attachment on it, and as a child, that puts crushing pressure on them. And so free them of that burden. Allow them to be themselves, and go discover who that person is by, speaking intentional, by spending intentional time with them. And these moments, they don't have to be huge. They don't have to be massive. You don't have to like plan this you know, five-day road trip across the country to spend intentional time with your kid. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be really simple and really intentional. And I think the biggest thing is that it needs to be exclusive. Because exclusivity says that my eyes are on you, that you matter. So we need to spend times as a family going out where it's just us as the family, where we are focused on the kids. Kids, where do you want to go to eat tonight? What do you want to do tonight? <laughs> How can I be present to you? How can you say to your child, I see you and I want to know you? I think some of the best moments in my childhood growing up were moments where we went on a family hike or even more... <laughs> More than that was a time where we uh, did just a night trip to a hotel. Like we drove an hour and went to a hotel. And some of the best trips that we took, I think we took like three of them throughout my childhood, where we just drove an hour, went to a hotel with a pool, ordered pizza, had a night in a hotel, came back home, and that was it. But it was exclusive, it was intentional, and I still remember it to today. It was one of those times where it was like, this is a special moment with mom and dad. We're going away with them, and we're going to a fun place. We're going to a hotel, and there's a pool there. We didn't have a pool, and pools for kids are a big deal. And my dad, he would get into it. He's called Jimmy the Dolphin in my house. 
And when Benjamin gets a little bit older, he's going to experience Jimmy the Dolphin with my dad. And Jimmy the Dolphin has certain characteristics and certain traits, and it's amazing, and it's just ways that my father was intentional to love us kids. It wasn't, hey, you guys go to the pool. I'm going to sit here in my pool chair. But he got in the water. He engaged. He loved us. My parents were fully present. It was exclusive, and it was special, and it was memorable. It was a place where my parents built into me that they loved and that they cared for us and that they saw us. There are other places where you can just kind of spontaneously go for a walk or spontaneously go for a drive. There's something that we did as a family. It was called going crazy. Um, and it was whenever life would just kind of like get to a point of just absolute crazy and stress. And we'd just all get in the car and we'd start going for a trip. And one of the questions that we'd start asking as a kid, they're like, where are we going? And my parents would be like, we don't know. We're just going crazy. And it was like, oh, okay. And eventually as we got old enough, we were just like, where are we going? Are we going crazy? And they're like, yeah, we're going crazy. And what going crazy looked like is that we would just take an hour to drive around the countryside and be present to one another in the car. Sometimes we'd listen to music, and oftentimes it was on long summer days, which unfortunately we do not get in Wisconsin, but long summer days in Michigan when it was like sun would set at 10 o'clock, and we'd see the sun setting, and it was just a beautiful time with family where we'd just hang out in the car for an hour. I know it sounds crazy, not massive, not monumental, but it was exclusive time. It was exclusive time where we were just present and hung out to one another. There are also other intentional times that you can take with your children, like going for a walk. Just choose one of your children and say, hey, do you want to go for a walk with me? Talk about whatever you want to talk about. Talk about life, talk about <laughs> nature, talk about what interests them. They're going to soak that time up. That time for them is going to be invaluable. And so be intentional about it. One of the things that I am so grateful for my dad was is that when I was younger, we would go on drives together. A lot of the stuff with my parents happened in the car, but my dad and I, we would go on drives together late at night. We would go shining for deer, and uh, we had a massive flashlight. This is just a country thing. You get this massive flashlight, and you shine it in the fields, and you count to see how many deer you can see at night. I think one of the most, one, one night we saw like 40 deer in the field. But that was time where my dad and I could just sit and talk. And in those moments, time and time again, we'd have the conversations that a lot of fathers don't have with their sons. A lot of the conversations that fathers should be having with their sons that most sons don't often get. And my father was never awkward about it. He never fumbled over it. He was just very direct. He was very direct about what it was to engage and sex, and what it was to, to have intimate personal relationships, what it was to be an adult, what it was to be a man, what it was to be a husband, what it was to be a father. And we'd go on these drives, and he would invest. And he started at about eight, and we talked about it all the way to like age 18, 19, 20. I mean, these drives just happened, and it wasn't planned, it wasn't, in, but it was intentional. So these are ways that we can build into our children is by actively being present to them. We can also just actively be present to them by jumping out of the couch and engaging with their play on the floor, by doing regular bath time or story time. A lot of this stuff is not rocket science, but at the same time, it's stuff that we have to fight tooth and nail to go do. I know. I know as a parent. I know as an adult. I know as a man. The choice to be passive, the choice to not love and care for our children can be very, very strong. 
and the tiredness and the weariness to not be creative, to not be intentional, to not hear, to not listen, to check out is incredibly strong. And so I just want to encourage us as parents that we can do better, that we can do and we can be the parents that we've always wanted. But it just takes being intentional and spending time with them. So I encourage you, if you have a child that's of age that can cook dinner, cook dinner with them. Ask them, hey, do you want to cook dinner once a week? Do you want to be responsible for that? What would you like to make? What would you want on the menu? Let's go to the grocery store. Let's buy the food. Let's figure out what things cost. Teach them about money. Teach them about responsibility. Teach them what it is to make a mess and to clean it up. It's going to require a ton of patience because that meal is going to take two to three times longer to cook than if you could do it yourself. But man, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember, man, I learned how to bake with mom. Or I learned how to cook with dad. They poured into me. They saw me. They loved me. They spent time with me. They cared for me. This is active time. Proverbs says that a bowl full of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone that you hate. And I say that proverb because... (laughs) Huh? What did I say? Huh? It says like a cow or a beef or like, like, yeah, I, I modernized it a little bit. <laughs> it says herbs instead of vegetables, but same idea. The idea is that it, it does not have to be amazing. You don't have to bend over backwards. You just have to bend a little. You just have to bend a little. And I just, for someone who doesn't love vegetables, the time with vegetables with my parents was awesome. And I'm thankful for it every day. Now, my parents weren't perfect. But, man, they did, and they did things that I, now that I'm a parent, and now that I've talked with people, I, I cannot, it's, it's amazing, it's unbelievable to me, the things that they did to grow us up and to show us how God loves us. And what I want is for us to know God's love and for us to be the parents that can share that same love and that same grace and that same generosity to our children that they might know. So that's active time. Active time, if you want to summarize it, it is just intentional activity. And you get to figure out what that is. And let it be spontaneous from time to time. Now the second time that we've got, we have active time. Now we have passive time. And if you think that active time requires some intentionality, passive time requires double the amount of intentionality because the intentionality of passive time, we're talking about your character. We're talking about the way that you live your life day in and day out in relationships with your spouse, in relationships with your friends, in relationships with your neighbors, in relationships in the car, with the drivers on the road. We're talking about everything where your child is going to be absorbing the way that you live your life. And this is passive time, and it is incredibly difficult. But it is in this time that we are going to be able to be a testimony to God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. And it's also going to be a place where our children are going to see us broken, and where we are going to have to ask for forgiveness, and where we're going to mess up, and where they're going to learn how relationships are mended. And how we work and live together with one another and love one another and submit to one another when things don't go our way, when our selfishness comes out. 
because their selfishness is going to come out too, and they're going to need to learn how to adjust and how to love and how to care and how to be kind. And they're going to learn that mostly through passivity through us and the way that we live our relationships and time. And so I'll say that our children will learn double in passive time than what we will give them in any type of active time experience. And so what I want to encourage you with is that in times of disagreement, even between your husband and wife, sometimes we have this idea that we want to hide it away. Now, some of us, we just do it all right in front, and it's ugly, and it's messy, and conflict is in front of the children all the time. There needs to be a balance. There needs to be a time where conflict is done publicly so your children can see that you're broken, selfish individuals. They need to see that. They also need to see how you guys forgive one another and love one another through that, and they need to see that publicly. But they don't need to see it all. They don't need to see it all. And so there's times where that conflict can also happen privately. But give yourself the permission to allow yourself to be broken and vulnerable before your kids. They will learn greatly for it. They're like <laughs> disagreements, there's going to be also times to show affection in public. And maybe we're more wary to do this, but your children need to see what healthy affection looks like. And you need to be able to do that publicly. You need to be able to do that in front of your children. Now, obviously, there's some affection that is reserved for a private place. And so we don't need that to happen all in front of them as well. And if you think that, oh, of course that wouldn't happen. I had second graders when I was in second grade telling me about their experiences with their parents. It's incredible. It's incredible what can happen. But there's a place for public and there's a place for private intimacy. And so be intimate publicly. It's okay. Show your children what healthy affection looks like. There's also a time to pray and meditate in public. There's also a time to pray and meditate in private. If we're to build our children up in our faith and if we are to go and say that our faith is important and that we don't just go to church on Sunday, we need to show them passively how our faith is important to us. They need to see us praying. They need to see us reading our Bibles. They need to see us meditating. They need to hear us talking about God in our regular conversations and how, God, how good God is and how God provided for us and how we can be thankful for these things because these children, they're going to pick that up. They're going to soak that up. They're going to see their, their dad or their mother praying and they're going to say, oh, my mom or dad is a woman of prayer. And they might not realize it until they're in high school or they're in college and they're going to be like, you know what, I am so thankful that my mom was a mother of deep prayer because I knew her prayers were about me, that they were for me, that they were with me even when I was staunchly against her. So pray. Get in public around your spiritual lives. It is not this thing that happens quietly. We need to live our lives on display, both the good and the bad. But in all ways, we need to try and live intentionally that points it all back to God and his love, and his grace, and his forgiveness. Which brings us kind of this point of discipline again. This discipline word is a bad word in our culture. We don't like it. We repulse against it. And there are various ways and methods in which we believe and have strong convictions on how children should or should not be disciplined. 
Well, that's not what I want to get into. What I want us to get into this morning is I want us to have a positive view of discipline as a whole, and that we can see discipline as a place where we are actively and passively modeling, <laughs> sorry, we are actively teaching our children, just like actively and passively modeling teaches our children. That This is a place of learning, because the reality is that our children need to learn that they're little sinners. And that can sound really harsh, but that's what they are. They're little sinners, and they need to know that. They need to know that they break God's laws, that they break God's commandments, but they also need is that they need to know that there is Jesus who loves them, who died for them, who's forgiven them, and who's ransomed them, and who is their ultimate hero. And if we never point that out to our children, then the need for Jesus becomes a little bit irrelevant. They're like, saved? Saved from what? I'm the child that can do no wrong. And if you have a child that can do no wrong, then Jesus becomes incredibly irrelevant. And so we need to be able to point out to our children, not just teach them good and bad, but we need to be able to speak into their lives and say, hey, you're broken. You're a sinner. It's okay. Jesus came and he loves you. And daddy and mommy loves you in spite of that. Even though you hurt us, we love you and we forgive you and we cover that up. Our discipline needs to be shaped by this value of teaching and teaching the need of Christ in their lives and growing them up into the people that God has called them to be. And it's in our discipline that our children will learn self-control, and in self-control they'll gain freedom. And I will say that if we're going to discipline, our discipline needs to be consistent. If we don't discipline our children in private, we cannot be surprised that when we go to discipline them in public that they don't respond, or that they respond like incredibly negatively, because in public they're going to be like, this is new. This didn't happen. So we need to be consistent. If we're going to be fair to our children, we need to be consistent. We also need to be consistent about majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. It's not fair for us in the middle of our exhaustion, in the middle of our frustration, to take something that's in a minor offense and just go off the handle on them and treat it as if it were a major offense. Especially if we allow major offenses to go by because they seem so major that we're like, oh, we're just going to let that one go. We need to be active and we need to respond in measure. We need our discipline to be responded in measure. And no matter what, no matter what type of discipline we administer, that discipline cannot come from a place of anger. In our anger, do not sin. So it's not that we can't be angry, but we need to not crush our children and crush their spirits in our discipline. Will it be uncomfortable? Sure. Will they call you meanie? Probably. But that's way different than crushing their spirits. They can be disappointed. They can be sad in the moment. But don't discipline in a way that over time is going to steal their life and joy away. Discipline in a way that brings life. Discipline in a way that shows them love, that shows them grace, that shows them compassion. And if you do sin in your discipline, if your anger crosses that threshold where it, you know that you are sinning or where you know that you are blowing up majorly on a minor, what I want to encourage you to do is to go back to your child, confess your sin to them, and ask for their forgiveness. And that's going to blow them away. 
It's going to blow them away. It'd blow me away. My parents, no matter what the discipline was, whether it was measured, not measured, whether it was out of anger, frustration, whatever it was, the discipline was what the discipline was. And there was no revisiting that. Whether they were right, wrong, or indifferent. Man, it would have done a lot of healing to me if there were some places where they disciplined out of anger, out of rage, and they came back and said, you know what? Mom was wrong here. Dad was wrong here. Would you please forgive me? It's going to blow their mind. That allows them to engage in forgiveness. It allows them to see your brokenness. It allows them to know what it is to love you back and to forgive, at least be given the opportunity to forgive. It shows that we as parents aren't perfect but that we love them and that we see them and that we care for them. We need to be able to break the cycle. Talk to some parents and they're like, my parents were harsh on me. I turned out all right. I'm like, yeah, you sound great. We need to break this cycle. We need to break this cycle where oppressing our children, where pushing them down is seen as okay. We need to treat them as individuals, that God loves. And ultimately, we need to put on love and let the peace of Christ rule. So I want you guys to be encouraged today that the God of the universe loves us, that the God of the universe is pursuing us as a parent, and that as we parent, we have the parent of all parents. We have the Lord of lords. We have the King of kings who wants to shower us with his grace and his love and his mercy and his compassion so that we can love with that same grace and mercy and love and compassion. That he was wanting to protect us, that he's wanting to provide for us, that he wants to protect and provide for our children. And this morning what I want you guys to know is that you have a hero in the universe that's in Jesus Christ, that God gave his only son, that he loves us. And so I hope that there's been some wisdom given, some wisdom received, but most importantly today, What I want us to rest in is the Father's love that he has for us and the Mother's love. And so to do that this morning, to get our thoughts moving more in that direction, as we've talked about kind of the hard stuff, I want to read us a storybook. Every time I read this storybook, I am blown away by the truth that it says about who our God is and how our God loves us. Now this, from what I know, this is not written by a Christian author. It has no Christian bent to it. At all, but the words are true and the words are wise. And I just want you guys to allow this storybook, words for children, words as we are God's children, to flood our hearts, to flood our minds, and to know how deep and how vast and how wide the Father's love is for us. So I love you day and night. I love you most, and I love you best. I love you tall, and I love you high, way up in the sunny sky. I love you far, and I love you wide, from over here to the other side. I love you low, and I love you deep, down where the octopus sleeps. I love you huge, and I love you vast, for the fun to come and for the fun that is past.
often do we think of our God giving us fun things and him wanting to be fun with us? He says, I love you big and I love you tough when the path is smooth and when the path is rough. I love you strong and I love you small. Together, we have it all. I love you wild and I love you loud. I shout it out and I feel proud. I love you soft and I love you still. And you know I always will. I love you close and I love you tight when you're wrong and when you're right. I love you night and I love you day and every moment come what may. Because I love you with my whole heart. From where you end to where you begin. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the good, good parent that we need, that we want. God, we thank you that you're the hero that has come to save us. We thank you that you're the prince who has left his throne to come redeem his people. God, we thank you that we are your children. God, we thank you that your love is so strong and so abundant. God, I pray that we would allow that to wash over us this morning. And God, that we would experience your love in such a deep and profound way that we could not help but go and apply these principles of intentional time, of passive time, and of discipline into the children in our lives, God. That we would share this love and this grace with everyone that we meet. God, help us heal from our hurts. God, help us forgive those who have wronged us. And God, give us the love that we need to care for those that are around us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the father and the mother that you are. In the name we pray, amen.